Welcome to Presence of Mind, the podcast where we talk about mental health, wellness, and life lessons. I'm your host, Jesse Brar, and here are some presents from my mind to yours. So today I'm super excited to be talking to Ronnie Shaw. She is someone who I initially actually found out about because we are both writing for the same magazine, so called Brown Girl Magazine. Shout out to them. Um, but I was able to kind of follow some of the articles she was writing. And uh, when I started doing the podcast, she reached out and we wanted to talk a little bit about self-care and some other really cool topics. So hi, Ronnie. Hey, Jesse. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging out. It is. I'm in New York City. I live, um, I live in Brooklyn and it's very hot. And today is a day where New York has had zero deaths from COVID. So celebrate, right? Like a weird milestone, but also kind of relieving. So I feel, I feel not bad, not bad at all. (laughs) Awesome. It's a good day for sure. Um, So before we start, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Totally. Let's get into it. So Let's see. So I just told you I live currently live in Brooklyn. Um, I've been in New York for about three years now, which is incredible to think. So I I grew up in Chicago and grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and um, did the whole classic basic thing, you know, like went to college for an engineering degree and uh, eventually was like, no, not the thing for me. You know, um, this wasn't where my interests lied and um and all my roommates and friends were like, well, you didn't have to go through four years of college for us to tell you that. We could have told you that. So um, I ended up joining a series of startups right after college and kind of fell into this world of communications and marketing. So um, that eventually led to my current job. After moving around to a few cities, um, I work at a tech company. I work, I work at a company called Trello, um, if you're into organization in Teams, um, you've probably heard of it, but I work as a social media and content manager uh, by day. Um, and like you mentioned, like you and I, like I, I've definitely like come across your name quite a bit um, from Brown Girl. So I, you know, that was kind of like an outlet where I first started writing. So like right after college and like 2014, and that was just like a huge impetus, like kind of what my career has become. So yeah, I. Um, also have a South Asian satire blog called Fuss Class News, where it's literally just me <laughs> writing my thoughts and like basically it's like the onion for Indian people um, or anybody who's like a second gen immigrant, like or second gen child being a child of immigrants, and it's just anybody who can relate to that experience. So after Fuss Class, kind of had like a mini. Like, you know, people kind of started following it. People started recognizing it. Um, as soon as that kind of happened, I was like, oh, I should kind of take writing a little bit more seriously and um, landed at my current job where I eventually ended up writing a book um, called Wisdom from a Humble Jellyfish. And that was kind of inspired from a blog post I wrote. And I somehow by chance was contacted by a, a writing, like a editor, like an agent um, Harper Collins, and that became a project that she kind of wanted to do after reading my blog post about, which I'll tell you more about in the, in the podcast, but um, about this like whole jellyfish and self-care mental health concept, um, and ended up becoming a book two years after we met. So 
um, Wisdom from a Humble Jellyfish was just released in late April, like peak pandemic, which is unfortunate, uh, but also this book being about self-care um, and kind of about the biological world. It came at a good time, I think, for a lot of people where they could find some ways to like kind of calm themselves and feel better about what's going on around us. So very long life story, which I just <laughs> shared with you, uh, but that is like the tip of the iceberg of what I hope today is. Awesome. No, I love it. I know I've read a little bit um, of Wisdom from a Humble Jellyfish. And so I'm just going to read a quick little excerpt from the summary of it. So people get an idea of what it's about. And then we can kind of go into how this came to be. But um, off of Amazon. So if you're looking to buy the book, it is also on Amazon. Uh, we could all learn a thing or two about living in balance from our friends in the plant and animal kingdom. Take, for example, the jellyfish one of the most energy efficient animals in the world, moving through the ocean by contracting and relaxing with frequent breaks in between. And then there's the oyster, producing a pearl as a result of an immune re response when a grain of sand invades her system. What better example exists of how adversity can produce something beautiful? We need look no further than nature from the habits of the porcupine to sunflowers, to the wombat, to the dragonfly, for small and simple things we can do to slow down, recharge, and live more thoughtfully, lovingly, and harmoniously. So, like you said, this came out peak pandemic, basically. Um, yeah. And, of course, self-care is something we're all really cherishing right now. And I think for a lot of people, it was reimagining self-care, too, because I'm very extroverted. I took a quiz once and said I was 73% extroverted. And <laughs> um, from that, like a lot of my self-care is actually interacting with people and going out into the world and having new experiences. Like mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to do with self-care is go to a club sober and just dance for a really long time. Ugh. So with pandemic, it was really hard to be like the things I'm used to, I can't do anymore. And so I really had to reimagine how I was doing self-care and finding those things that I needed and it I think it's mm -hmm. cool that you looked towards basically things that have existed for so many years before us and are going to exist so many years after us and that self-care isn't just a human thing yeah and I feel like so many people share that sentiment with you like did you say 78% extroverted? Was that the figure? 73. <laughs> 73. 73%. I feel like I have a lot of other 70, 73 or higher percenters in my life. And um, it is really difficult, especially when I think right now, like, right, like you're being forced into these situations where like a lot of people are going back to their family homes mm -hmm. or a lot of people are just straight up alone, right, in their apartment um, with or without a roommate. So all these outlets you have, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, are just literally shut down in so many ways. So I think I think turning to nature also, I guess, like, you know, like normalizes self-care. I think a lot of the ways that social media and the Internet, like I am an Internet dweeb, like mm -hmm. I am all about the Internet, like that is my home, like I will Internet all day. But I, I think even part of my job, my career is basically working off of the internet and it's like moods, but I've had to learn to regulate, you know, the things I'm reading online, the definitions of self-care that I'm being shown on Instagram or on Twitter or on Pinterest. 
you know, what does that really mean? And so I think even in the book, I write about, you know, like slapping on a face mask or taking a bath, like that is totally a valid form of self-care if that works for you. Mm -hmm. But that's not the only way by any means. And so much of self-care is doing what might not be easy. And so I've talked about how um, for me personally, like to be very transparent today, I had a very anxiety-ridden day. Um, it was like, yes, it's a Monday today. And like, oh, Mondays, like, haha, Garfield cartoon. But it was also like, you know, I have a lot going on in my life. I have a lot of things I'm nervous about, imposter syndrome, which a lot of people have. I think everybody has it in some form where you just don't feel good enough for the things you're doing. Like today was that day for me. And um, self-care for me looks like, let me cook a meal, right? Let me take a walk. Let me watch a reality TV show that kind of helps me forget what the negatives of my day were. So yes, like not all those things were necessarily difficult to do. Like anybody can pop on a TV show, but it's after months of like being stuck indoors and like years of kind of being an anxious, anxious person and kind of understanding what is going to get me back to my normal. How can I care for myself right now without having, without having to, de to depend on my therapist at this moment or having to having to depend on like this external force. Um, so a lot of this is looking at animals and I feel like animals and biology almost make us feel more connected to mm -hmm. what self-care is. Like I think a lot of people justify, well, like, oh, if, if it's natural, you know, animals would do it, which they totally do. So um, this whole book is just surrounding how if we take a cue from nature and kind of these like, I don't want to say ancient because it sounds very like, like ooh, like ancient. It's it's it's, very, it's honestly it's very. Um, I want to I almost want to say primitive. It's very primitive. It's very innate. It's like in our DNA to put ourselves first. But I think in the modern day, it's difficult to understand what that means because we're so hyper connected at all times. So yeah, I I try to break that down. And in this book, each chapter is about a different creature, and each creature ties back to. A self-care principle that I tie back to its biology. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think stemming off of what you said, one of the things that I've learned throughout doing my own research and my own kind of self-work and self-care journey is that mental health really is on a spectrum. And I think one of the things people forget is even if you're having a good mental health day or in kind of that healthy part of the spectrum, self-care should really mm -hmm. be integrated. Like it really should be an everyday thing of you're taking some time every single day to unwind because we are so connected to the world. There's always some sort of stimulus going in. And like, I'm the same, like I love reality TV. It is my favorite thing <laughs> to do. Like I will not go to bed without watching an episode of the challenge or like drag race or something. Because oh my God. Need, yes. Yeah. I just need that like hour before bed. Of like, I know a lot of people say, like, don't watch TV for be before bed. But for me, it's like that hour where I really do disconnect from any other stimulus that is coming in. Like, I put away my phone. I'm not talking to anyone. I'm just watching my TV show. It's kind of mindless. And I'm just really just sitting <laughs> the time. Girl, I feel you right now. My poison is marriage at first sight. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and it's like, it's just so fun. Like, I yeah, you're so... It's in the back to you, so like people are like, oh, don't do this, don't do that. Like, there's a lot of expert fodder out there, and like, mm -hmm. yes, listen to experts, listen to doctors, like hashtag Dr. Fauci, like listen to the people who have these degrees, like yes. But 
at the end of the day, when it comes to your own sense of feeling, right? Like, like you said, like unwinding. Um, unwinding, I think, has this connotation of like, it's a big deal. I think especially when your parents like are immigrants or like had, you know, like I think all our parents probably worked way harder than we did. Um, I, it, for us, like, I don't think I've ever really seen my relatives actively try to unwind, right? Like maybe if you go on a vacation, but even then it's like, it's not this thing I think as South Asians we grow up with or are told to prioritize. So it's like a double whammy for a lot of like, you know, like they see kids like we, A, we don't know how to do it. B, we don't know to prioritize it. So I, yeah, like whatever works for you, do it. And I think even now, like I, I love talking to my parents about this stuff. I'm like, you guys are like, you know, you've worked hard. Like it's okay to relax. Like you don't need to, you don't need to do this whole like routine every day. Like you can sit and (laughs) you can sit and chill. Like we can be late for that one party. It's fine. Like it's not a big deal. And I, there's so many facets to self-care that I think are important to understand. The main one being that it is something you maintain. Like, I think like, it's like exercise, right? Like mm-hmm. if you don't exercise, like you're not going to feel the best, but it's also not the most pleasant thing to up and start it. Like it really is a practice. So meditation, exercise. Um, also flip side is like realizing what are things in your life you need to get rid of like you know you start meditating you start exercising but there are things in your life that like you know you might need to just like expel a bit like i don't need this um an example i can think of maybe is like uh one of the chapters in my book is about um parasites like literal parasites like, <laughs> i talk very deeply about like these creepy crawly things and um I love the biology of parasites too. There's like these freaky ones that like live, like if you, if you own a cat, like people tend to know about this one, but like uh, Toxoplasma gondii, like it lives in cat poop and basically like mice will like, can get infected and mice will suddenly no longer fear the smell of cat urine, which they should because if they smell cat urine, it means they're near a cat. Mm-hmm. But what this, what this like parasite does is it alters the mouse, um, the mice, the mouse, mouses, <laughs> the mouse's uh, brain chemistry and makes it not afraid of the urine. So now it goes closer to cats and then cats will eat it. But the, this mouse already has this parasite in it. So the cat ingests it and goes back into its feces and this and the whole cycle starts again. So it's all about, like, you know, I have like two or three examples like this. I like, talk about parasites, but at the end, I kind of relay it back to there are parasitic, you know, types of people in your life too. So when I say parasitic, I mean, parasites, the definition of a parasite um, is that they're not all bad, but what they do is that they latch onto a host and they deplete that host of nutrients or of something. So in life, you know, like having a parasitic friend, a parasitic family member, somebody who latches onto you or whenever they interact with you, it is draining you in some way, in a negative way. And I'm not talking about like you had one fight with your best friend or I'm not talking about like your like, you know, your partner and you like are having a rough patch. Like I'm taking this is like a long term thing. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody is constantly making you feel like you're not good enough or bringing you down with negativity or even if it's somebody who you are just over, you know, like 
so many people sometimes where they will come to you for advice and you will continuously give them advice we feel like you're not listening to. That is a form of parasitic behavior. And um, it's important to also acknowledge external factors like that, like getting rid of these people. I'm not saying like assassinate them, like do not. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's no violence condoning this, but I'm saying managing your expectations and relationships with these people is part of self-care. Like that is completely an ownership of your time. And so it goes way deeper, I think. It's it's not just, I look cute today, self-care. It mm-hmm. can be, like it totally is, but um, it goes way deeper than that. For sure. And I think it really just depends on where you're at. Like I said, mental health is a spectrum. Like we have good days, we have bad days. Sometimes it is as easy as I'm going to put on some makeup, I'm going to wear a cute outfit and that's, mm-hmm. and that's all I need. Other days, it's maybe I need 12 hours of sleep today or whatever else it is. And I think as well mentioning, um, like having parasites in your life of toxic people. Like for me, I'm a hardcore empath, like to a fault. Nice. nice. Yeah. Like my, like my strongest characteristic and also my biggest weakness of, I have a lot of love to give and I'm a very caring human, but there are people who are just takers and like something against them. That's just who they are. And I've been in that situation where I was in a long-term relationship and it lasted four years. And I remember when Mm -hmm. I was at the end, I felt like I was so depleted. Like I didn't even know who I was anymore. It was a really big rebuild after that. And I think as well, like one of the things we as children of immigrants who are growing up in like North America and London, like all of these other Westernized places, we have this one up of, one, I guess one of the things I started doing is really understanding where my mom's coming from and she's mm. immigrant mentality too, where she's always on the go. And it wasn't until she legitimately, like she got into a car accident and wasn't allowed to work anymore and had oh to my take time off and sit at home. And I remember for the first three months, she was just so angry all the time because she's like, I, she's like, I just don't have anything to do. She's like, I can't do anything. Like, I'm so annoyed. And I was like, why don't you take time? I'm like, catch up on your shows like do some meditation and it it was really hard for her to start doing that and then eventually she kind of got the hang of it but I think as well for like us it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs of really looking at it is our parents have always had to struggle with kind of those first two making sure there's food making sure there's shelter like really the basis of existing and we have the luxury of they've already done that for us. They've made sure we have food, we have shelter. And so we're kind of one upping and we have the ability to look for things that are going to fulfill us, that are going to help us reach that self-actualization point of things. And Mm -hmm. our parents like are just getting to that point at the same time as us. So it is an uncomfortable situation. And I know we talked about this before as well of like a lot of people now in pandemic are going back to their families where mm-hmm. as loving as families are, sometimes there's still tension. And it's really hard to look for ways to really take time for yourself because it feels so selfish. And yeah, in yeah. culture, a lot of the time, like we've been told, like we are community based and we all look towards helping each other. And like, it really is like the village raises, raises everyone. Like, I know for me, like I've had like my mom in the house, my siblings, my grandparents, And it really is like, we all interact together, but I have those moments where I'm like, I really just want to do something for me. And even though no one's ever said anything against it, I always feel like, I always feel selfish. And I'm like, oh, you totally do. It's like that in the room syndrome, 
right? You're like, oh, I should be downstairs. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, so true. But yeah, so it's super cool, I guess, to see that, like, I think in nature, like, stress is also, it's just a common thing. I think a, one of the things that gets confused nowadays is understanding how to manage your own stress of stress is going to happen regardless. There's always going to be something, but how do you manage that? And how do you become more thoughtful of your energy and give it to the right mm-hmm. people in the right places? Oh, yeah. So many juicy little nuggets in what you just said. <laughs> like, I think, um, you know, I love that you mentioned like, you know, it's like being in a long-term relationship and, or even just like, you know, I'm just going to go on a limb here and like assume that like a lot of people who are listening to podcasts are, you know, maybe like, you know, early twenties to like beyond. And so I, I just want to like throw out a little thing. Like I think in your twenties, you're really trying to figure out who you are as an adult, obviously. And so much of that comes from what your expectations were from growing up. And, um, you know, we, we don't see our parents taking a, ch- a chill pill. Like that's not a thing and it, that we expect. And I think that feeling of guilt is constant. Like I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you touched on at the end, which is how do you manage stress when it, it inevitably shows up, right? Like that is just a fact of life. Like stress will happen. And it's not that it's a bad thing that you're stressed. It's about how do you manage it, right? Once you have it. And one fun example I can give after my parasite, my creepy parasite one is um, I talk about the porcupine and this is more around failure. Um, and the reason I talk about failure is for two reasons. The first one, many people feel that when they are stressed, when they're burnt out, when they can't go on too well, that that is a failure. So that first of all, let's debunk that. That's you haven't failed. Um, number two, I think there's a feeling around failure where it's like, if you're, if you failed, you are a failure. And I think failing and being in failure as a noun are totally, totally different things. So I write about the porcupine and, um, how it relates back to failure. So the porcupine, the, the porcupine, we've all seen this guy, it's like this spiky dude kind of walking around like kind of like clumpy um porcupine quills are very sharp um you know when predators approach them like they can easily like you know like kind of bump into you and you'll have like a dozen or so quills and it's very painful so the way this came about was um i was reading a scientific paper and um a scientist had gotten you know like not attacked, but like a porcupine had come close enough to him where he had a quill like in his arm. Um, and he went back home to like, you know, take this quill out. But he noticed that, you know, this quill had been in him for like almost an hour, like a long time. Um, there was no swelling, like nothing was swollen. Nothing was hurting except just the wound. And the reason I'm mentioning is that is think about when you get injured, right? Like it kind of starts swelling or like gets red. Mm-hmm. Um, but he noticed that this was just like in it, almost like an earring, like it was just in his skin, like there was no reaction. And then he decided to look into this and they realized that porcupine quills are antimicrobial, um, which they're basically covered in, in this like fatty acid um, that makes them resistant to growing bacteria and, and microbes. And 
So the reason porcupines have these like antimicrobial quills is because as they climb trees, like so the North American porcupine will climb trees, uh, when they're coming back down, a lot of the times they fall, which is kind of hilarious. But like, it's also sad because like when they fall, they'll sometimes like impale themselves with their own quills. But the reason they don't die, um, a lot of animals die from infection, not just the wound. The reason they don't die is because their quills are antimicrobial. So they might pierce themselves with a quill, but they won't get an infection from it. So there's less likely to be fatally hurt. Um, the reason I mentioned this is because porcupines biologically have a mechanism where when they, you know, I'm doing air quotes, when they fail, like when they hurt themselves, when they fall, yeah, they're going to get hurt, but they're going to come away from it okay because their body has this inbuilt mechanism to protect itself. Mm-hmm. And I relate that back to failure in that it's like, yeah, you're going to fall. It's going to hurt. It's going to happen. But as a human, as a person, biologically, mentally, emotionally, you can get through it and you will continue on because failing once, the only thing that's affecting you about failure is the stigma behind it. If nobody gave a shit that you failed, you're not going to feel bad. Like what you're actually feeling is what are other people thinking? Mm -hmm. Um, What does it say about me? But be like the porcupine, like. Like, okay, I failed. It happened. It hurts. This is not going to infect me. This is not going to hurt me. I can go away from this unscathed. I'll have a scar and I'll move on. And so that was one of the more fun ones I liked. Um, I think especially going back and you talk about culture a lot. Um, culturally, failure is like your death sentence. Like, you know, like, oh, like whether it's grades or job, you know, I think our parents are more scared of us failing than we might be. Um, and that's just like a larger cultural thing. So the porcupine was a fun one. I like that one. I think it relates back to just like you said, like managing stress, managing failure. How do you do this thing without being feeling like you can't move on? So be like the porcupine. You'll get hurt, but you'll get over it. <laughs> yeah, and I think going off of that, another example that you have is um, the oyster. And I think that kind of for me, like just the perception of what's happening and the stress that you're going through is like the oyster like you said, is hmm. in response to all of the stress and like the different things that are invading their system, they take that and they create a pearl. Same with like how diamonds are made. It takes an extreme amount of pressure. And like, I've seen the diamond example a lot of times and the oyster as well. Of uh, It yeah. really depends on, like we said before, stress is going to come and go. There's no way that you can live a completely stress-free life, no matter who you are. There's literally just no way. And no way yeah. about figuring out how are you going to either use that stress to your advantage like I know for me I work really well under pressure so <laughs> same <laughs> yeah so I've always like I'm a huge procrastinator I don't think I've ever written an essay paper anything more than 24 hours before it's due which, literally does anybody do that I don't even know is that a thing know. like does that happen anymore I'm like I, I've <laughs> never seen it done and like no matter what at one point I had to start like messing up my due dates of like trying because then I wouldn't edit it because I would never have time. Um, and so <laughs> I write my due dates like a week before it was actually due. And then I would forget and I'd see it in my like agenda. I'd be like, Oh my God, it's due tomorrow. And then I'd write it and then I'd go to submit. And I'm like, why can't I submit it? And then I would have to remember, to go back and edit. but that was something that I realized. And like, I do work well under pressure. And so I started using it to my advantage. Like 
a lot of the time, a lot of the articles I've written or like panels I've been on, it is a high pressure situation. I found those mm-hmm. are where I thrive and I've used it to my advantage of in workplaces. I'm always like the first one if there's a really hard project or something where I'm like, oh, this is going to be a lot of pressure. It like one is stressful when I'm going through it, but at the end, it really is so much more rewarding of rather yeah. than it would come easily. Do you feel like that's like a motivating factor for you? Like it's like a challenge or it's more of a, the reason I'm asking is like, I'm very similar to that. And it's taken a lot of years of understanding time management to get over that. So I'm so curious, like, you know, why, why do you think you're better under pressure? Yeah, I think it's for me, I'm just a stubborn human. And I've <laughs> always been like, if you tell me I can't do it, then I just want to do it more. And like, that mm-hmm. was one of the things that my mom figured out really early on is she would ne- never tell me I can't do something. She would just be like, if you want to do it, do it, but then deal with the consequences after. And like, then I would think twice of like, do I really want to piss her off right now? <laughs> but if she would be like, no, you can't do this. And like, oh, I'm a hundred percent doing this. And it's like a weird backwards sort of pressure environment that I create for myself, but I have found that it gives me the most satisfaction afterwards and my best Mm -hmm. confidence in that environment. And I also think it's just a testament to like how people's minds work. One of the most fascinating things I learned this year was, and it's going to sound so silly when I say it out loud, but we never really think about it is everyone thinks differently and not just like, what mm-hmm. we think about and everything but like for me I think in like thoughts like I have a constant dialogue in my head like I'm basically talking to myself in my head at all times and so one of the things I found out through that was the reason mm-hmm. I don't test well is I'm, I've always been really good at essays and like writing and doing things like that but I've sucked at exams because it would be so quiet in the exam halls that the voice that was kind of going inside my head would start distracting itself. Like suddenly I'm wow. seeing suddenly like I'm talking to myself about like something else. Um, and I asked a couple of my friends, I was like, how do you guys think? And I have a friend who's an engineer and she's like, I actually kind of see thought bubbles. Like it's more like I see images and like they kind of just like come together and form the thought. And I was like, that is fascinating. I have I had no idea that other people oh my God. themselves in their head. Oh. I feel like you're right. It is such a silly, obvious thought, but then you're like, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. The way you like take care of yourself. Like for me, that's why I'm like, for me, self-care has always been things that are noisy, like watching TV, like listening to a music or like going out and like seeing people and talking to people. Whereas a lot of other people who don't have that constant dialogue, they do a lot better with meditating or being by themselves or taking a nap. And I'm like, those things just don't work for me. Wow. You're 73% 73 extroversion. It's all adding up like that. (laughs) That is so, I'm like, now I'm trying to think like, how, how, and what do I think? I think I, I, I'm with you. I'm not the best test taker. I think I psych myself out a lot. I don't think I'm a bad test taker for the same reasons. Um, but I also do better with um, writing. And I think I when I think I think I feel like there's always a movie playing in my head. I think that's how I think. I think when I look at um, a landscape or a person, I'm weirdly concocting a screenplay oh, in wow. my mind. Um, 
like I see things as they are and how I would want to share them. And when I'm thinking about the future, I think about it as a kind of like a movie. And uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but I really think this was inspired by when I was little. I was watching Dilto Pagohe and I was like very little. I was like four or five. I was like a, a child. And I remember thinking like, how are movies made? Do they just like hide cameras and like they just record like, the concept of actors and actresses like i didn't understand that concept for yeah. me it's like oh these are real people they just filmed secretly i thought shahrukh khan and gajal were married until i was probably like 11 i was like what do you oh. mean together i'm like this has ruined everything <laughs> i i actually i'm pretty sure i thought shahrukh khan and like madhuri dikshit were together too like i <laughs> So I think that kind of weird, that's like my first distinct memory of thinking like that, that's how the world is. So I love that whole like, yeah, people just perceive things differently. And I think if we're, if I'm relating that back to an animal, right, like as I'm um, something interesting is just, so one of them is the wombat. Do you know, have you seen a wombat? They're kind of weird. I feel like, like they're, they're a rodent of some sort, I believe. <laughs> Wow, uh, look at you. Yeah, they are technically a rodent. They're like the, they're the large one. It's capybara or wombat. It's like one of the largest rodents in the family. But they look like, imagine a guinea pig, but like the size of a corgi. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like the size. Yeah, so they're like big. They're like big ass rodents and like, uh, you know, native to Australia. And one interesting thing about them is that when they poop, their poop is shaped like a cube like what? six sides yeah like 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 a dice How? like it looks like if you google wombat poop it is a six-sided cube <laughs> and <laughs> it's like the coolest fact i've ever learned in my life <laughs> it is so cool and like so the way scientists figured out what so actually for the longest time researchers had no idea how in the world this became cube shape so that the, the prevailing theory was that for lack of a better word that its anus was shaped like a square mm-hmm. but it is not it is a regular butthole <laughs> and they eventually you know researchers they as roadkill they found a dead wombat like you know they got was roadkill and they dissected it and as recently, I think it was like 2019 or 2018, like the last two or three years, they just discovered why. And it's because um, when food is going through their um, intestines, their intestines are kind of like they, they apply pressure to like forming feces in their body. But they apply pressure in a cubicle shape, like it kind of molds it into a cube. I'm like making contraction movements with my hand which you obviously can't see but like the intestines kind of push it into a cubicle shape mm-hmm. and it poops out it poops out a cube and so this animal like it's still poop like it's still a literal piece of shit <laughs> but it's just so interesting to us because it has become unique by some foreign process and when we come back to like thought processes uh, like you know, whether you think how whether you think you're in speech bubbles or you're thinking like your life is a movie, um, I write about how it's it's cre- you know creativity. Like uh, wombats, you know, create a piece of shit that we think is super cool because it's different. However, literally everybody can create a piece of shit, mm-hmm. but it's just a matter of 
it's only unique because it's from you. And so whether it's the way you think or the way your creativity comes out, um, it's important to realize that everyone's is different and no one's is better. Just because something is cool to something else doesn't mean it is the standard of cool or the standard of creative or the standard of thought processes. Um, there are many different ways of looking at things, but you know what? If you asked a wombat if it thought its poop was cool, they would definitely not think so. Yeah, they would. But to us, it's what it is. <laughs> they'd be like, literally, get away from me. Why are you holding that? <laughs> um, and I, I think I love that because it's just so, you know, we're all different. I think we we all hold ourselves up to the same measuring stick, but I don't think that's valid. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's true. I don't think we should. And I think it's actually detrimental, especially in pandemic. Like, we, it's like, you know, people on Instagram, like, mm, I'm working out, I took a jog. Like, great. I'm so happy for you. But literally, like, just be happy for them. You don't have to you don't have to do a jog. You can just sit and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Just do your own thing. As long as you feel good doing it and it's not illegal, do it. <laughs> yeah, it's not illegal is key. Um and I think going off of that, like in the social media age is like there there are fads that happen of what type of life we want to be living. Like I remember when like social media had just started, it was all about leisure and all about looking at rich people doing cool rich things and doing absolutely Mm -hmm. else like it really did start off with like kim kardashian is a social media queen and it started off with her just posting pictures of herself looking pretty and yeah she made a killing off of it and like she was doing great and then eventually it kind of turned into this like hustle movement of like people like the rock people like lily singh uh people and mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian, she changed her lane and started posting more about all of the different things she was doing. Of look, look at me reading my law books, look at this company I run. And everyone was looking for that hustle. And we, because we have so much access to social media, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And I think we start comparing ourselves to that because we're like, that's, that's the ideal. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. We forget that people like The Rock, people like Kim Kardashian, people who are these huge hustlers, Kevin Hart, all of these things, like they have teams, they have like 50 people working with them every oh single God. day. Like, do you, they're not yes. doing their stuff. Like they're off doing whatever they need to do. Someone else is making their lunch for them. Someone else is getting their stuff from dry cleaning. Like they have this huge team and therefore they can do so many different things. Whereas we yeah. are all just regular humans. Like I don't have anyone who's going to go make my meals for me unless I really, really beg my mom and be like, I really don't want to today. Can you please make me? Something? <laughs> um, oh like, my God. That is up to that standard. And I think it's adjusting our beliefs and adjusting our expectations accordingly of it's okay. And like knowing that everyone kind of plays their role in society. I think one of the things I've come to realize is that we are, simultaneously the most important thing in our life and also absolutely nothing and non-significant in the grand scheme of things so our existence mm-hmm. is important and it matters but it also doesn't at the same time so really like what's the point of comparing yourself to everyone else and what they're doing like find your lane whether you're happy in like a nine to five whether you want to do the creative hustle like I had that moment last year too where I felt like I do a lot of creative things. Like I was working a nine to five job and I was also modeling and writing and dancing and like doing all of these things that I also loved. 
and at some point like a, a lot of people were like you do so well at those other things like why not leave the nine to five life behind be an entrepreneur like start your own thing and do your creative stuff full time and so I quit my mm-hmm. job and I explored that as an option and I did it for about six months and at the end of six months I was like nah I like my nine to five life <laughs> I like being able to <laughs> wake up go to work do my thing have my vacations paid for I like that life and I still like doing the other things and I do them when I have time but like it's not like it's not a burden for me anymore I'm doing it because I like it and because I enjoy it but I found my lane like I am not the hustle creative entrepreneur I want to do things because they're fun and I'll do them until they're fun and then when they're not I'm over it no I it's a great point you brought up I think hustle culture is it's interesting. I, I've definitely felt affected by it. You know, it's um, kind of looking at, I think hustle culture is sneaky in that it comes off as if you just work hard enough, you'll get there. Mm-hmm. And yes, like to get anywhere worthwhile, you're going to have to work hard. But I think that perception of I'm not there yet because I haven't worked hard enough can very quickly become a toxic mentality. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because, I mean, you know, it, it, that's when you start, you're right. Like you start comparing yourself, like not just to celebrities, but then it becomes like, oh, look, like Sheila Andy's daughter got into, you know, Yale because she worked hard enough. That was her reward. Um, and then you, then you compare yourself and it's like, oh, but I, I didn't do these 10 other things. Have I not worked hard enough? And you know what? Sometimes, yeah, maybe you aren't doing shit. Maybe you're just actually like lazy. But yeah. but if you actually are, but if you actually are working hard and, and you're, you're trying to do something, it's, it's very easy for that mentality to turn into something like I'm not worth it. I'm not worthwhile. I you start believing you are lazy and a failure. And I think just that hustle culture byproduct isn't something I'm a big fan of. And I I do appreciate transparency on social media. I do like when people share their successes, but it's that, you know, it's like that kind of not that trope. It's like that quote where it's like social media, somebody else's highlight reel. Yeah. Um, That's very much it. And I think um, one tactic actually I love and I wrote in my book um, is uh, having a failure goal. Um, because like, you know, like you mentioned, Lily Singh, The Rock, whatever, they've gone through a lot of failure Mm -hmm. to get to where they've gotten. Like, I don't think people are realizing that like Kim Kardashian, like I respect her as an individual, but like she, it's not like she had a goal in mind, like, you know, to become famous, like you could also be like a convict and get famous. Like, it's fine. But like. Yeah, I feel like if you're trying to go for a meaningful goal, um, you're going to have to like get knocked down a lot, like a shit ton. And having a failure goal, what that is, is basically, for example, um, I would love to write a second book. Um, However, my biggest like obstacle right now is writing a proposal to pitch it. Um, So my failure goal, what it should be is I should aim to fail at getting a book deal Mm -hmm. a minimum of x times let's say five times so very low (laughs) but uh you know just aim for that because then 
each failure suddenly becomes a check mark towards a goal. And what that does, it takes that pressure off of you of like, oh, I didn't succeed. It's like, no, no, no. I'm not supposed to succeed until 10 times of pitching this. Or if you're applying for a job, failure goal. I'm going to apply to 30 jobs and I'm not going to get any of them. I'm like, you know, no, don't purposely mess up your interview. Like, Don't go on like a tirade. Like, But like, you know, it's okay if you don't. So like, you know, apply for 30 jobs because think of it as like, okay, I'm supposed to fail 30 of them. And that's my benchmark. Like your benchmark cannot be, I tried it once and it didn't work. Same for exercise. It's going to suck. Like have 10 exercise sessions where like, I'm going to have 10 of them that are terrible and it's going to be the worst thing ever. The 11th one, you'll be surprised at your mindset, your mindset shift. Like, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I think, so, yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think it's understanding that, like, no one gets it on the first try. It's If you get it on one try, typically it's a miracle. And so mm-hmm. you also have to be, like, learn learning from the failures that come around. Like, I think, for me, my br- biggest growth opportunities have happened from times where I failed. And so... Mm-hmm. Like, for example, one of the things I do on the side is I'm a public speaker. So I go into a lot of schools in like different places and do talks on mental health and what it means in kind of a real life context. And I remember the first couple of times I did it, I had like no training. I had no idea what was going on. And I was told to just like go up there and talk about it. And I was, I think, probably like 21 or 22 at the time. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to wing it. And I winged it and it was awful. Like it was so bad. And (laughs) but then I started talking about the same thing over and over again and doing it so many times that it became routine for me. And my biggest opportunity that I got to date was I got to do that exact same presentation in front of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. So Will and Kate in London, which was super cool, but I literally had to fail so many times and be in uncomfortable situations and be kind of this person who's standing in front of a room full of thousands of people and fuck up in order to finally perfect it and go in front of royalty and nail it. And so yeah, it's really about yeah. learning from that. And I think going back to the main guy, this humble jellyfish of understanding <laughs> that like sometimes you really have to push it. You got to do your contractions and you relax for a little bit, take some breaks and eventually get to like the goal that you were going for dude yeah first of all that's so sick like congrats <laughs> on that opportunity um but totally like you i love that you told your story about you bombing like i've same i've had so many i feel like my mind is constantly this like movie reel of those like awkward things i said or done or regretted and um i think it kind of keeps me grounded but also like it sucks to dwell on it like mm-hmm. i really should it but, um, you know, like, you know, no, nobody, nobody posts about their breakups on Instagram. You're seeing their engagements. Yeah. Right. And then like, and it's the same thing. Like you can't let that get to you. And I think, um, a lot of that does come down to, uh, you, you mentioned the jellyfish, which I love. Um, that's the namesake of the book, but a lot of that does come down to giving yourself permission to take a step back mm-hmm. and to relax. Um, and relaxation is not to be mixed up with, what's the word? I think relaxation is not, yeah, relaxation is not to be mixed up with stagnation. Mm-hmm. That is not the point. Um, I think stagnancy is very different. It's when, you know, typically you feel like you're in a rut. Um, again, very natural, but 
when you're relaxing, it's something you need to do. And so jellyfish, quite literally, uh, the reason this book is called Wisdom from a Humble Jellyfish is because the blog post I wrote initially that you kind of inspired this book uh, fixated on it. And so the jellyfish is wise in this context because think about how a jellyfish moves, right? Like if you take your hands and kind of like mimic a jellyfish, it's going like, you know, your fingers come together, then they release, then they come together, then they release. Um, jellyfish will contract. So when they come together, when they kind of squeeze together, it's contracting, it's coming together. But when they release, they're moving forward, right? Because the water fills it up and it moves forward. So the jellyfish are actually, jellyfish are the most energy efficient animals known to man as of this point. And they're, ener they're energy efficient because they're contracting then relaxing. That, re that relaxation motion actually propels them forward. So they're actually going double the distance and doing half the work. So it's equivalent of if we take a step and stop, imagining when we take a rest or sit down, we're actually moving forward. So jellyfish literally take breaks in between and over time they go twice as far. So that metaphor is very applicable for us where it's like, if we don't learn how to relax, if we don't take breaks in between, you are going to burn out. Mm -hmm. And if you are, if you anybody out there is listening to this, if you feel dread when you wake up, if you feel exhaustion, like at most times of day when you feel irritated and you don't enjoy things like doing anymore, you are very likely burnt out. And it's okay to take a break and relax. You're not stagnating. You're not going back. Um, even at my company, my you know our, our leadership encour actively encourages take a vacation because they know when you're back, you're better than ever, right? Like you're a car that just got detailed, like mm -hmm. all shiny and new again. Um, and the jellyfish is that. That is the namesake of the book. Like take it from the jelly. If there's anything from this book, you can take, or from me, or from or from Jesse, if you're listening to this, take a break. It's totally fine. Understand what that is for you. Uh, because I have been burnt out before multiple times in my life. I'm not my best self. And I'm, people call me out on it. I, I become a grumpy mess. Um, and it's really damaging mentally, I feel. So that's the one thing. Big takeaway. Just yeah. relax. Sure. And I think it's learning to take breaks, like you said, before you reach the point of burnout. I'm like, I'm notorious for working super, super hard until I'm burnt out. And then I'm like, well, I'm burnt out now, so I'm going to take a break. And then I take a break. Yeah. And it ends up every time the burnout happens, the break ends up being longer and longer and longer. And I, because it just takes me so much more time to recover until I started finally integrating just breaks into everything I was doing. And I think one of the misconceptions about burnout is people think it is just when you're tired or like you just don't feel great all the time and like you're mentally exhausted, but burnout has like physical symptoms to it too. I have a friend, his name's Hamza Khan, and he wrote a book called The Burnout Gamble. And mm. we were talking about this and he was talking about his situation. He talks about when he hit and in such a bad burnout that he literally, he went to the bathroom because he wasn't feeling great. And he was like trying to splash some water on his face. And he woke up like six hours later on the floor of the bathroom. What? He was so oh out that his like 
body literally just gave way and like needed rest so badly that it shut off. It was just like, nope, you're sleeping mm-hmm. now. And like, I've had that too, where I remember in my second year of university was the first time it happened, but it's happened a couple of times since. Uh, I remember I woke up one day with this insane pain in my stomach. Like I felt like someone had stabbed me as soon as I woke up and I woke up and uh, I removed, it felt like someone was twisting the knife. And I remember oh God. It was bad that like I went downstairs and I went to my roommates uh, and these girls, like I've known them forever. Like we went to high school together and we, we were in college together and they had to take me to the hospital and like the hospital did so many tests and they're like, we can't find anything wrong with you. And oh my, not even ulcers or anything like that's exactly. usually like a thing, like stress yeah. ulcers. They thought oh it my was God. ulcers, they did ultrasounds, everything, and they literally couldn't find anything. And it was like my body was just under so much stress that I physically was just in pain. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. like some serious time off that like I finally started to feel better. And like the second time it happened again. And this time the doctor that I went to, they're like, what have you been doing recently? And I let them know about my schedule of like, I work from nine to five and then I typically have like a shoot after and then I'm on the train and then I write an article while I'm on the train and then I go to bed at like 3 a.m. and then I wake up at like seven and like all of this stuff and they're like, you're having stress pain. And it's realizing that and like that was when I had to make a change I was like I'm literally going to be so burnt out that eventually I'll be just completely out of commission and if I don't do it now and like integrate breaks into my life and like have frequent breaks in between it eventually I'm not going to have the energy to do what I want moving forward Mm -mm. no first of all I'm so glad you're okay it's (laughs) like so scary and I think second like I think yes like I think hustle culture really does bother me. I um, not just because it, it it does make me feel like I should be doing more, but I also think it uh, glamorizes burnout. It it can, and I just want like PSA like it's okay to be burnt out, but like it's also not cute to feel accomplished mm-hmm. that you got burnt out, right? Like I feel like I I felt like when I was younger, I was like, oh yeah, I'm so stressed. Like oh yeah, I got like no sleep. Like yeah. I'm so cool. Like that was like a badge of honor. And now, like you know, like I you know I am I don't have children yet or anything. But it's like now, if I saw like my child or like my friend's child saying that, I'd be like, you think it's cool right now, but like real talk that just means you're not managing yourself properly mm-hmm. and I think that's a big thing I think even like if you recognize it in your friends it's important to like tell people so been there it was not as severe as what you went through but like I'm so happy that I'm happy your body reacted right like mm-hmm. I'm glad you figured out you had to slow down because it's hard to know like mm-hmm. it's hard to know culturally and mentally and emotionally when you should be stopping yeah, for sure. And I think it's interesting that like, like you said, like, it's just been glamorized of like not taking a break and always doing something. And I think also like the way of living has been glamorized. Like, I know for me, like, being with Brown Girl, I'm surrounded by amazing people. And almost every person that writes for Brown Girl is doing some sort of side hustle, whether it be just writing for Brown Girl or managing some social media or modeling or Mm -hmm. writing a book. And I've noticed that when I was suddenly surrounded by all these people, I like couldn't see any other way of being. But I have other people in my life who 
are happy just doing their nine to five, coming home, chilling and enjoying their weekend and doing that. And like, that's what they want to do. And for a while I was like, oh, that's so weird. Like, how can you not want to maximize your time all the time? Like, why, why don't you do other things? And they're like, no, I'm cool. Like, this is just what I want to do. And I think it's respecting that there's so much diversity in how we live. Same like Uh in animal kingdom is everyone has their own way of conducting self-care and living their life some animals like to sleep all day some of them are going to sleep (laughs) I think one of the things I find so amazing about this book is it does like you said make it so natural and show us that like this has been happening for years and we're the only animals in this kingdom that like have to work for a living and have to yeah yeah and like other animals just chill and do their thing and have their self-care and like their biggest thing is surviving but we do have a lot of added stress and I feel like we need to learn from the animals and even do more self-care than they need to no completely and it's just like you know as animals it's like you know they have to like survive day to day it's like am I gonna get eaten am I gonna get food tomorrow and objectively our modern average life is not that difficult like very few of us are worried of being eaten on a day-to-day basis and if you are I honestly want to know so much I really want to know so much about your life if you're worried about being eaten at all times but um, I think you know obviously the worry we have the opposite worry it's like will I have enough to eat am I making enough to have these other things in life which is a very legit thing there's a lot of people living in that uh, space as well but in general, we're not constantly under threat. And um, I think just because we don't think we're threatened means we can't take care of ourselves. And, um, you know, another nature example is, like you said, like it's finding out what works for you, right? Mm-hmm. So if nine to five is what you like and what you enjoy and how you feel at peace, so be it. Flip side, um, if that is not you, you know, don't don't judge the people who mm-hmm. like that. And um, it's about being in your own you mentioned lanes earlier. It's like, you know, understand there are different lanes and there's not a right one, except the one that is illegal things. Like, don't don't murder people. <laughs> don't do that. But, you know, like, there are many different lanes and it's okay if people are in other ones and you'll be in different lanes at different parts of your life. That's something I've struggled with, right? Which is like, I'm, I'm, I'm very different from my early 20s and my teens. And um, it, it, the lanes have definitely changed. And I think... Um, one of my favorite chapters in this book is about flowers, um, specifically the Cirrus blooming um, flower. And so this guy is like, it blooms like once a year and it's fairly pretty. I think it's, it might be the same one in Crazy Rich Asians. I'm not sure. But um, this guy, so you know, it only blooms the night. And there's also a bunch of other flowers that like, uh, bloom at different times um, and different ways. So like tulips, for example, at nighttime, they close their petals um, and then they'll open them whenever there's sunlight. And if they sense any moisture in the air, they'll close up again. The reason they do that is because they have pollen inside them. They don't want it to be washed away by water. So they do things based on timing. Um, same with like jasmines. Like, you know, it's very, you know, a lot of Indian people have like jasmine plants. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them only open up at um, nighttime. Actually, some of them are even called like ratranis, like, you know, like nighttime, um, like flowers. And so 
all of these flowers have basically figured out a routine that works for them and what makes them most prime to pollinating and most prime to blooming. Mm -hmm. And we need to adapt that into our own lives. Like what works for you? Is it the nine to five? Do you like working four days a week? Are you, is, are you genuinely happy doing like, you know, quitting your job and freelancing? Some people are. Mm-hmm. And it's about figuring out that routine for yourself because like flowers, like each one is different. Each one has different needs. Each one has a different climate. Each one has a different type of pollinator. It's about figuring out that balance of what works for you. And it will change over time. Just like any creature, we evolve. Um, I mean, as our habits evolve, as biologically, we do not evolve. We are one species. <laughs> but, um, you know, our habits do evolve. And so I think that's really, really important. And I think the whole don't judge other people thing. Um, that's really important too. Like don't give your friends a hard time for being happy in their job or, you know, don't, don't give them a hard time for maybe being stressed, but they, they might love it, you know, like mm-hmm. be there for people in a way that's healthy for them. Don't try to change them. For sure. And I think it also like don't not being hard on yourself of like, if you're not fitting into what's going on around you. And I think I'm a big believer mm-hmm. in change is inevitable and it can happen at any time like I know a lot of people in their 20s feel this pressure to like I need to solidify my career I need to figure out what I'm doing right now and like I need a job that I'm going to be at for like the next 10 years and like build up this like Mm -hmm. idea of life but like I'm a perpetual job hopper I've literally never had a role that I've stayed in for more than nine months and like my company (laughs) now knows that too I like that was one of the things I joked about with my boss it was like a haha, but not really moment. I was like, yeah, like <laughs> after nine months, and like if something doesn't change or something new and exciting doesn't happen, like I start, like my eyes start wandering <laughs> and <laughs> came and she's like, okay, we're going to add this cool new thing onto your role. Like we're adjusting your like position and it was awesome. So I get to, st- oh, of course, this phone goes up again. <laughs> I don't even know why I still have a house phone. No one uses this. It is a spam call. It's okay. It's just your boss calling, being like, we have even more <laughs> things for you to do. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Um, but yeah, so nine months into this role, my boss was like, we have this cool, new, exciting thing for you to do. And it's great that I get to do it with the same company, but it really was like, I needed change and I constantly need change. And if I don't change up my environment, if I don't change up what I'm doing, I do get bored and Mm -hmm. that's okay. And so like, I pride myself in being a perpetual job hopper. Like I've put it on my resume of like last year when I was off for six months, I was like, I'm on a corporate hiatus. I am not doing any corporate work, but you can find me at music festivals, doing their social media. You can find me traveling the world and writing random things and blogging and modeling, but I'm not going to be doing my corporate life. And I have people who I've known that have created big changes for themselves really later on in life. And so I think that was one of the things that I've learned is I used to be like anything up, like there were so many millions of things that I wanted to do, but I wanted to do them all now. And I've come to realize that it'll come in time. If it's meant to be, it'll happen again. Like it's not saying just don't do anything. It's not going to come to you without some work, but you don't have to do it right now. You can take that time and take those breaks. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, like wanting to do everything at this moment and kind of feeling like you're behind if you aren't it it's, there's a quote I love, which is like, 
um, success is like, what is it? It's like success is like 98% um, preparation and 2% like luck or I'm butchering this. <laughs> Basically, it's just like, it's when opportunity is, opportunity comes when your preparation is like kind of fallen upon with luck and it if you aren't preparing yourself to go towards a goal a little bit of luck will always be needed to get you across the finish line but um in these down times where you feel like you can't do much you can always prep yourself and that doesn't mean post online and tell people like oh my god i just like wrote ten thousand words today like hashtag hustle life like it could it could mean like do like I don't know, read 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 an article today like do some research um a lot of a lot of just i think like you said like you know, like i i also think i job hopped a lot early on because i just don't know what i wanted to do and like i loved doing different things and um in my downtime i would be confused but i realized like that's where i could kind of put down you know proverbial roots of sorts and like figure out what i enjoy doing and while I don't necessarily think it's realistic to be like, make your job your passion, I don't even know if we should do that because then over time, your passion just becomes what your income is and you lose it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but figure out what you like to do at a very basic level or what you hate to do um, so that when you do want to pursue something in life, you at least have it whittled down. So I think downtime, A, downtime is important to have and to value and B, it's important to filter out what you actually want to do in your downtime like if that's trash television like me and you <laughs> great go for it but also don't also don't feel like spend spending 20 minutes on a thing you like to do isn't a waste of time like don't mm-hmm. think oh it's just 20 minutes what's that gonna do it could do a lot 20 minutes a day for a month you could you could kill it you could do a lot so um i don't know where i'm going with this but <laughs> Do things in your downtime or don't. I think that's kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, I think honestly, like I know this is coming towards an end. We've been talking for almost an hour now, but the gist of it really is do whatever the hell you want as long as it's not illegal (laughs) and make it work for you of like um, we're going to sign off soon and I'm probably going to go watch Siesta Key for an hour and that's going to be my MTV show of the night and then I'm probably going to go to bed and amazing people are gonna write pages of a novel and other people are going to do some reading and I think recognizing that every single thing we do one making sure that it's worth our time and energy so put time and energy into things that fuel you in whatever way you need whether that's fueling you by self-care and taking care of yourself and relaxing or fueling you by like pushing you towards your goals you kind of need that balance um but really it all is all about just finding whatever works for you so yeah like I said we've been talking for almost an hour now but is there anything else you want to <laughs> off with or any other tips and tricks that you have from the animal world um I'm just thinking I I would just like to leave with this which is we're going through a pandemic right now no secret and everybody is in a dilemma of their own um personally personal front for me I'm like trying to gain the courage to write a second book proposal um you know we I 
my fiance and I, like we had to, we postponed our wedding, which we're actually really excited about because now we have like, you know, a different date and we don't want to worry about like, you know, the plague hitting it. And, you know, it's like, like, you know, like these little things that are happening in my life and other people have like, you know, way more real problems than a postponed wedding and shit is crazy right mm -hmm. now. And everybody has heard this, but it's okay to have fun by, you know, in a safe, socially distant, wearing a mask kind of way. Like you can still enjoy some time indoors. You can still enjoy your family. Um, I just want everyone to keep their chin up and this is a temporary situation. And as far as the animal world, just, you know, animals are resilient. We are also animals and it'll be okay. Um, I guess the only plug I'd like to make is, hey, my book is available everywhere. You go to your local bookstore, uh, go to Barnes & Noble, go to any bookstore, go for it. Um, if you, if anybody wants a signed copy, I can try to make that happen. I'm happy to, I'm not doing anything else, so I'm happy to <laughs> shoot this out. So um, let me know. I, I think people will enjoy it, and it's not too long. It's only 140 pages, but it's a chill, lighthearted read, as people on Goodreads are saying. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this talk and I hope people kind of get value and respect nature and animals more. That is my piece. Thank you so much. I can attest to this book being cute as hell. It has the cutest little graphics that I adore. Um, so I will put a link to the Amazon link where you can buy the book as well as Ronnie's social media and her Instagram. So you guys can check her out there. But other than that, Thank you so much for all of your creative wisdom today. This is the first conversation I've had about self-care and I've had very many conversations about self-care <laughs> in such a different lens. And I think it's, like I've said so many times, it's so cool to think about it through this lens of animals um, and plants that are literally in our backyards. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Presence of Mind. If you have something that you would like covered or you'd like to learn more about, you can send a DM on Instagram to at Jessie Brar, that's at J-E-S-S-I-E-E-B-R-A-R, -E -E or leave a voice note on our Anchor page. Thank you so much and stay tuned for our next episode.